it's been haphazard to say the least i i never started as a marketer so there was a middle period in the indian economy where the sensibility of running a business was very low the noise of running a business was very high are right? you talking about the whole irrational exuberance if you look at the fmcg trajectory that has happened in this country right and the consumption evolution that has happened in the country it's not happened in terms of new money it's happened in old money so india doesn't have a dearth of data we actually have a surplus of dirty data so phone numbers are useless email addresses are like boy 1001 at hotmail.com so in some sense retention is not just a marketer's problem it's everyone's problem i think retention is a business problem man. hi there welcome to the state of retention marketing podcast i'm thrilled to have you join us for episode 38 kicking off season 2 with a fresh outlook Now, if you're sure, chances are either you're fascinated or maybe even spooked by the topic of user engagement and retention. Either way, you've come to the right place. This episode is particularly special to me because it's not every day I encounter somebody as refreshingly candid as our guest today, Samrit Dasgupta. With 20 years of experience under his belt as a brand builder, for the most part and a fractional fame in the past few months, he's not afraid to speak his mind, even if it means stirring up some debate. From questioning the irrational exuberance of Indian startups to challenging the VC money-driven acquisition strategies, Samrit holds strong opinions. We dive into topics like the role of a chief retention officer in a boardroom. We dissect agency partnerships, ROI expectations, and metrics in the retention landscape. And don't miss out on his insights on how Indian brands are navigating the retention game and the gaps they need to fill. So, well, whether you agree or disagree, there's something in it today's conversation for everyone. Tune in, Samrit. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, I'd love to very simply have a broad contour of your journey through these 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and you know, what have been the key choices and turning points? Oh, it's been. It's been haphazard, to say the least. Okay, so college, uh, I wanted to get in the army. Took my CDS, cleared that, went into the armed forces, broke my neck, came back into the civilian life. Okay, oh, that was cool. Life, yeah, life. Um, had worked in filmmaking for a bit before that. Realized that I liked the idea of storytelling, creative businesses, and I always looked at the creative side of the business. Mm-hmm. I I was never. particularly very creative myself but i understood the dynamics of that business uh started an agency with a bunch of folks four of us 10 years down 140 odd people uh worked across the length and breadth of india uh worked with, and early days this was essentially from around 2004 to about 2014 15 uh we were working with emerging businesses smes uh, second generation businesses who wanted to go the digital way so sure. a lot of a lot of young folks had come back mm-hmm. um on the back of manufacturing capacity that was built by their families now these manufacturing capacities were fairly robust these were very large businesses right so i'm talking about businesses which were in those days doing upwards of 70 80 crores anyways uh, and extremely profitable now all these young folks had come back and they wanted to sort of take that one leap of faith into turning manufacturing into a brand from that brand into a distribution model and then further sort of see what sure. they could do with it in terms of digital expansion yeah orbit changing so, always yeah absolutely right i mean massive pivotal spaces for them to get into and i realized i had an opportunity there right because there were large incumbent agencies which had didn't essentially understand india as a whole or yeah. or, or digital either or digital either see digital everyone was learning yeah so it's sure. not it's it's not like we knew a lot Fair. we potentially knew a little more than others hmm. but it's not like we knew everything So that ten-year journey was essentially sort of breaking this entire digital ecosystem up into bits and atoms, and mm-hmm. seeing what we could excel at. Sure. So we started to excel at a bunch of things, which went across the length and breadth of, you know, consumer technology, consumer products, uh, some degree of research, 
uh, mm-hmm. capacity, but a lot of creative inputs. Which would grow across the funnel, right? Okay. Interesting. I'm saying funnel because there was no funnel yeah, ideology the, there. The but, definition of the funnel itself seems yeah, to be a reason. But, but you know, it, for us, it was always that. Sure. Right? So, I think we did really well. Um, worked with large organizations. Took some organizations to an IPO level. Uh, my company itself was pretty well settled. Forty people. A lot of people. I had burnt out by the time I was 25. Uh, sorry, by the time I was thirty, thirty-three, thirty-four, mm. and I was like, "Man, this is it. I yeah. can't do this anymore." You know, because you you start by the time you're around twenty-three, and then you do it for about ten odd years. You don't sleep enough, uh, and that's when I realized that listen, I have potentially have a lot more to give. Mm-hmm. Uh, built my own ship, ran it for a bit, had a good time, but let's see what's, what's let let's see what's out there, right? Um, I joined the Times Group to work on a business called Dine Out. Extremely lucky. uh dynot had just been acquired and times was essentially trying to build uh the first almost restaurant operating system in the country mm. and again it was a very saas to a d2c play sure. uh which was let's first build the operating system and then try to get consumers in so superbly fun uh, yeah, lots space. of energy i think that energy sort of remains um very good space very early stage so again a category creation mandate yep. uh suddenly went from leading a team of 140 people to leading a 14 member team and i'm like sure something's off build that up uh learned a lot learned consumer tech consumer products uh learned the app ecosystem because that was that was the transitional phase in the this indian economy like the upward yeah, curve already 2015 yeah, so 2014 beginning to be upward curve just about the upward yeah. curve very early stage app ecosystems uh, mostly apps pre that were web based yep uh, apps and this one was where we I mean, brands were still deciding that they need to have apps and then i think mintz decided it was it was mostly like pwas app only for some reason yeah so it was like bit. pwas for mm. a while and then you know people would oscillate between having a website to having an app um there was of course no one system that would run them all so everything I mean, was native page view which means even the penetration trust smartphones and all of that was still Oh, much less, there. much less, yeah, yeah. negligible, almost nothing, right? And then there was still that CDMA versus the GSM war. Yeah, all all those things were happening. Very mm-hmm. interesting times, though, from a telco perspective. Mm-hmm. Very interesting times from a VAS perspective. Uh, I was in a media space, which was essentially looking at data. Uh, we were looking at uh, working with restaurants, so it was an online to an offline business. Uh, there were two spectrums to what we were trying to build. So very, very early stage. Sort of cohort analysis, ensuring that we are acquiring people and then retaining people downstream, right? Well, because don't cohorts back then, huh? That's interesting. Oh, we had to, right? Because one, it was expensive. It's always been expensive to do business, uh, especially when you are a business that's been acquired by another company. Uh, frugality is the boardroom conversation. Put it on your right. The, you the can't old, not the, be frugal. Yeah, you you have to be frugal. There is no other way, and you have skin in the game, so you want to be as frugal as you can be. Sure. Um, So that's that's how the journey started mm. in terms of going into marketing. So my my submission of my marketing journey is actually potentially only ten years, right? So my But overall media creative is also a fair bit of exposure. Yeah. Right? So I'm saying you know the the different aspects of the, marketing. The definition perhaps. of marketing, which is oh you've worked in the marketing team where you potentially become a brand manager, that for me would have. Been about ten odd years, but I never started as a brand manager. I straight away went into a CMO role. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was that's fun, no? It had its challenges. I'm not going to be. Uh, I'm not going to say but that. But you de- sound like somebody have. who enjoys being out of debt, right? Uh, sometimes for a short while. Yeah. Okay. For a very short while, uh, but you just have to build systems around you, of course. So I I realized very early on that I'm very good at building systems mm. that work for me, right? And I. 
I work with a certain degree of method to the madness. Mm. If that's not there, then I, I potentially will be very uh, dysfunctional as things go ahead. Yeah. Safe to say, orchestrator more than a firefighter. Oh, I hate firefighting. Exactly. I think if you have to firefight, then you something might as well, is yeah, not designed very well. Yeah, yeah, you're doing something wrong. Um, I love the idea of being as planned as I can be before I go into warfare. Sure. Right. And uh, and I think that just came naturally. Uh, I was able In to some do it sense, well. the journey from dine out onwards or to dine out as well was a very well planned kind of series of moves. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely I was wondering, not. You know, on one side you said you planned, and on the other side your journey Absolutely. was happening. So the career has not been planned. What I right. have done in my stints has been very well planned. I'm happy. Yep. Um, I've had more successes than I have had failures, which also is a very comforting thing to have. Mm. And I'm deeply thankful because I don't think it's me. I think I just have a lot of very good people punting for me. It's a combination, sure. So yeah, and I don't know. Actually, I don't yeah, know. Well, how does it matter? It's worked well, it's worked well. Uh, but over the last 10-15 odd years, the kind of skill sets that I've picked up now, I think are what a lot of people are trying to get primarily because businesses are being run with the same sensibility again. Fair enough. Right? So there was a middle period in the Indian economy where the sensibility of running a business was very low. The noise of running a business was very high. Sure. Are you talking about the whole international exuberance? Is that the other word for what you're trying to say? I'm just talking about the ridiculous amount of money that was plowed into the system. You can call it irrational Whatever exuberance. Other words you're being very kind, it, right? but yeah. I, I just say it was just a rampant amount of capital infusion. And Which basically meant the whole sensibility of running business went haywire. Absolutely. I think of... it created a lot of bad behavior. Yeah. Hmm. It created a lot of bad behavior and, and you know, it's no one's fault. When you have the money, you need to deploy the money. When the money comes in, you have to find a way to use that money. When you use the money, you start to create behavior patterns, both consumer as well as vendors, which instills a lot of very unfavorable situations later on in life, sure. which you don't realize at yeah. that moment, right? And uh, I, I don't think it's a very popular sentiment, but I believe that businesses need to be run on the back of extreme amounts of frugality, certain amount of both sort of ethical framework of sensibility and corporate governance. If you have that, then well, you sort of well or not, But this is the reality, right? Um, but boss, India was guessing like this that. whole acknowledgement of this. Uh, there couldn't be a louder acknowledgement of these things given the last couple of years have been very different from how that period. But you was. know what's surprising is India was always built on that. We are a trading economy. I'm a Marwadi. So uh, I can fully yeah. understand, respect, appreciate. Right. Okay, why are we spending all of this stuff on all of this? Those questions were always asked and were always considered legit. Correct. That, correct. And also, I think because we came from a situation of want. Right. The economy came from a situation of want. We came out of a very difficult colonization period and then we had to rebuild everything. We're still in that process. We're sure. still in the process. And because a large portion of this is agrarian and trading, I think the, the fundamentals of business were very deeply entrenched into the economy. Sure. And the holders of the business were very clear about what they were doing. And they've done their part well. They've exceeded in use. That is what, all by the way, all of us at this very moment are still living off to a very, very large extent. You could say so. If you look at, if you look at market dynamics, if you look at large-scale manufacturing, if you look at the distribution models that were built, if you look at the FMCG trajectory that has happened in this country, right, and the consumption evolution that has happened in the country, it's not happened in terms of new money. It's happened in old money. Yeah. What we are doing now is we are building interventions of new money to come in and disrupt old money. Which have not necessarily always worked because uh, the efficiencies are some of those non-arbitrage-based systems and non, I I wouldn't call it non-arbitrage perhaps, but a fair bit of efficiency. When you talk about FMCG supply chains, the same distributor actually is sitting in his tempo and actually going and doing deliveries and there is no way to build an organizational corporate structure which will be more efficient than that. Correct. 
So if you're going to try and disrupt that system by a VC-funded ecosystem, which is going to have its own 20 layers of overheads, it's never going to be competitive. See, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there has been a population explosion to a very large extent and people need jobs and those jobs need to be created sure. through private enterprise and private enterprise will need capital infusion to build sure. those ecosystems. But my challenge from any kind of business lens has always been about the success metrics that we start to chase at the end of the day. Which for a fair bit of period had become valuation. Exactly. Right. And it's bloated. And it's yeah, it's, it's contentious it's, at best. And I'm and I'm going to stop because I, no, that's if, all right. if, if, I, if, if, if I want to say is, anything more then it's a problem. The fun fact is I've had uh, you know multiple conversations one including Rajan Anandan who's mm -hmm. a fairly vocal uh, you know person as far as this topic yeah. is concerned. So I don't think you will say anything which uh, in some sense sounds well, I can more. I go on but in some I, sense, I think we'll meander from the topic today. Yeah, well, I think, yeah. you know, so it, it gets links back perfectly nicely to the topic it had simply because we believe that uh, a sensible business, which yeah. is meant to last and meant to be built for a longer haul, has to be extremely mindful of retention, uh, you know, if not from the day T minus three months, yeah. at least on D zero. Yeah. And uh, I've had this, you know, lens from multiple founders who are second time founders. Yeah. And while, of course, we talk about product versus distribution and those dynamics, but at least as far as Though lens on how am I building customer lifetime value and how am I getting people back and how my customer acquisition yeah. cost is going to get mitigated is not an afterthought. Yeah, It's something to think about when they're designing the business plan itself. Okay, yeah. This is my expected retreat rate or return rate in a, it's a three-month window, six-month window, nine-month yeah. window. And it seems to be the part which was kind of overlooked for a period in between. Mm -hmm. And that's why we were chatting offline about the fact that the state of retention marketing, it kind of got a big shove, you know, from yeah. the behind. Yeah. Uh, just after when this whole funding things started to drive. About two, two and a half hours, uh, yeah. years back, right? So, I, I'm going to step back just a little sure. bit. Sure. Okay. I think that there's one thing that we need to recognize which is supremely important. And, unfortunately, this is what a lot of VC money was pulled into India through, which is India's very large market. Actually, India's not a very large market. This okay. keeps getting debated, but I'd love to hear your It's not. And I'll, and I'll fundamentally tell you why, at, at least my perspective. Sure. I think it is a very large populace, mm -hmm. but the ability to purchase is getting limited and the kind of businesses or products that are being made, which need to command a premium for the business to start making sense. Sure. That addressable market is very small. That can be held true, but that doesn't necessarily mean India is a small market. I'll say the businesses that are being attempted are attempting a small time. Right. They're all competing with the same audience. Because my context was the VC money flew in. True, yeah, that, fair. Right? So a lot of money came in because, hey, want, I want to create the next this for India. Right? Sure. And, you know, a lot of this was, of course, US-based. Yeah. There's homogeneity to the market. There is uh, a language advantage to that market. There is a... Higher debt consumption in that market. pattern per capita yeah, much higher debt in that market. Years. So all of that is there, right? So enabling infrastructure, right? And there's a big change in the last five seven years. In India, if you have to sell between in in one room, you're looking at potentially three different demographics, four different psychographics, sure. twenty kinds of language mm. barriers, all of that, right? So yeah. within this one building where we are right now, uh, you won't have a Way one size complex. fits all, right? Mm. You won't have a one size fits all. Um, so when people started to build for India, the and, you know, go back to like the Facebook interest cohorts. You have a 18 to a 54. You have men, women interested in cars, this, this, this. Dude, that was it. So now you have 2,000 brands. Maybe all even going more. After the same. All going after that same consumer set. Sure. So now that consumer is sitting, 
as a user, I've got my phone, I'm scrolling through, I see one ad on Instagram who's selling me shoes, another one is selling me socks, one is selling me chaddis, and I'm like, dude, what the hell, dude? Because everyone's selling me something yeah. or the other, right? Yeah. Starting from a toothpaste, to a car, to travel, to healthcare. Everyone is selling to me. Sure. Everyone is selling to anyone who has a particular kind of a smartphone, hmm. which now the entry barriers are extremely low. Uh, age. Thankfully, now I don't, like, now that I'm post 40, I don't get a lot of ads, which is fine. I think really? I have, you I don't? Have, I, I thought this is the people who have the money to spend. I get different kinds of ads. Yeah. Different kinds of ads, which I don't really want to speak about. Short but yeah, they're like, ghutne mein dard hai, baal rahe, all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah. is fine. Sure. I get those ads. But uh, what I've realized, and I think a lot of businesses have realized, mm -hmm. is that the addressable chunk is this. The, the share of wallet is constantly increasing for different kinds of brands. Now, this links back to the retention piece. I have Bro. acquired you. Yeah. But there are 20 other brands also which want to acquire Correct. you. Right? If I can't retain you, then I'm essentially either I, I have one. either I have paid you to go and buy it from another brand. I've created the category. No, because the first time I'm paying you, no? Sure. More bus most businesses, the first purchase is mostly the businesses losing money and they're yeah, paying yeah. you. Or paying, that. Yeah. or paying the advertising platforms to get you in. How about the overall, overall they're losing sure. money, right? Yeah, overall, yeah. you more often than not, a business in the first sale, the first transaction, you are most likely going to lose money. You That's start to make... The so-called argument around CAC in lifetime value, right? Yeah. So, sure. And then comes the LTV. Yep. That's when it starts to get a little meatier. Mm -hmm. But if I have to start spending a lot of money to even retain you, then essentially I still consider that to be the first sale. Sure. I think that's fundamentally where the conversation has started to shift to over the last two years. So, so the state of retention marketing for mm -hmm. me is where now suddenly people are like, okay, I've acquired someone. I've spent a whole bunch of effort, money, bandwidth, whatever you want to call sure. it. I've put this entire large machinery in place. I've mm -hmm. got you. Mm -hmm. Now I do need to retain you for a short period of time, long period of time, whatever I can do successfully. Sure. Uh, assuming that you have multiple products. Or assuming that your product has a habit formation level behavior. Repeat behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, assuming that the attribution that you need is not just a website-based attribution, but maybe at some stage you can attribute some degree to a marketplace. Sure. Some degree to an offline channel. Now, I have had the privilege of working across a very large-scale omni-channel player. Sure. So, for us, attribution used to be a lot easier because, of course, the POS was in our control. Yep. Data sets for very first-party data-driven. Mm -hmm. um, the... Sort of starting from CDP to the ERP, everything was ours. It was it was a ground up stack that was built for so the best. Stuff which is a luxury was a day zero thing available to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, actually, even pre that, right? So I mean, I was looking at patterns which would help mm. me look at propensity of conversion through and through, and then we would look at at what stage in the funnel sure. would you drop off, right? And when you start to do that with lakhs and lakhs of customers in a month, it starts to get really interesting because you see data patterns emerging yep. across, and but most brands don't have that privilege. Or a lot so, of brands don't have that Especially the ones which are legacy systems to transform to this several years away. Yeah, in I some keep, sense. Thank you for bringing that up. Because I keep saying this, India doesn't have a dearth of data. We actually have a surplus of dirty data. And Useless, not actionable, nothing, not, well, nothing, not ready to be used. Towards. Nothing, right? So phone numbers are useless. Email addresses are like boy1001 at hotmail.com. By the way. Sure. I don't know how those exist. Yeah. Uh, and addresses are uh, Lalwale, Scooter ke side mein, ek ke niche. 
by the way those happen i'm, I'm yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, happens. if you this will... if you look at the kind of data that d2c brands end up getting uh, someone should write a book on this because it's hilarious i'm sure the names email addresses phone numbers addresses it's just like this whole uh, sort of it's it's theatrical almost it's discovering india all over again it's actually an alternate india that you potentially have never heard of right so it's very mm-hmm. theatrical it's very absurd um, and it's entertaining but a lot of businesses lose a lot of money because of that sure. a lot of businesses put a lot of effort in building that funnel and then they realized that that data was too dirty so now we can't Fair. do much about it so back to our original thread around yeah. the the vc fuel play and mm-hmm. then two and a half years ago retention marketing started to seem relevant because now your cacs are crazy yeah. and you're dealing with a relatively small tab which all brands are chasing yeah. which means if you don't drive retention you will ultimately cap out in terms of how you can grow because yeah. you know you can keep acquiring customers but without repeats your active base continues to either remain stable or start to shrink yeah and now you have to prove to your vc that you have a potentially large market which means you can't compromise growth puts you in a bit of a downward spiral you can't yeah, keep buying you crash it's a fairly vicious and that's side. the real i mean given the fact that about 90% of series or seed funded brands will not even make it to series b is a reality so perhaps for a vc lens that's how the nature of the business some people will crack it and that's what they want to bet on rest of them go to hell see i mean that's hedging bets that's a separate thing that's the nature of a vc's business all i'm saying is the founder well, the fact is it's because really he's running bad for businesses it's really bad for the founders because they are operating in a framework that they'll be the 2% lucky ones which 90% chances are they will not yeah so how do you build a sustainable so that's a very bad pareto right that's a reality of how that market plays out i mean it it takes a certain degree of stupid optimism to believe that you will be in that 2% without planning for it in some sense it takes a takes stupid optimism to be a founder well that i would still take it as a default requirement but yeah, this can be so, this can so, be solved so if you this part can be solved if you don't have that stupid optimism then you most likely are not going to start up so i don't think i mean so there are two different pieces to and me it, the fact that you are starting i mean it in a good way mm-hmm. huh i don't mean it so i like way. that positivity of a founder that you're optimistic about the uh, potential of what you want to do mm. but then you know the, the phrase i hear and which i quite like is use your heart to decide where you want to go mm. but then use your head to decide how you want to get there so the moment you decide to be a founder if you're going to be irrational about how you want to play your game to get your business pmf scale whatever sorted is where the question mark comes in and that's where the mortality becomes crazy if you're not mindful of these choices you know i i've had the privilege of working with a lot of founders mm-hmm. and i'm i'm just being very candid sure i think there is no founder who starts up one without knowing to a very large extent where they're going sure second is they have a very clear sense of also what they want to build and how they want to build mm-hmm. more often than not sure yeah um they also have the gumption to get there okay okay there are a bunch of things that happen along the way and that's i think that's i think a bit of a risk challenge and also has its upsides uh which is one if you if you get capital infusion then the capital starts to speak and you don't speak very quickly Which so that is, is where one. it falls it starts to fall off yeah it starts to yeah. it starts to fall off the the so journey the that, that you had yeah the yeah. plan that you had and most well laid plans i have seen fall very badly because of that which is the part which gets tricky one for me right because if you're a founder who are very clear on the logical sensible thing to do you wouldn't get tempted by shortcuts normally but and that's what second half founders sometimes what happens is it's not even a shortcut 
um, you know sometimes you you are at a situation and 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 it's not about it's not about defending the ecosystem that has been sure, built. Sure, that's an evolution uh, journey. And it's 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 neither about supporting decisions in this case because you know each decision has its own sort of pragmatic or emotional lens to it, as you mentioned. Uh, but I think most founders, when they start off, the fundamentals of business are in place. Mm-hmm. The fundamentals start to be bartered for some degree of capital infusion because of runway. Now it's a very catch twenty two. Yeah, there are some very smart founders, very strong founders, and again, more of them than less, and which is a good thing. And that is why I think this entire ecosystem and the enterprise—it's evolving. The second half, I understand, to be looking at life very differently. Even the first time, even the first sure. time, because it's a new one. Some, some need to see clear. Both people have learned. Both people have learned. Both people have learned. Which is a good thing. Which is a good thing, of course. Yeah. That's how you evolve. Which right? is which is fantastic. And mm-hmm. I think you know a, a lot of credit goes to uh, you know programs like Shark Tank and others where yeah. there is clearly a an immense amount of information exchange that is happening. So Correct. it's fantastic, right? I think the ecosystem needed that infusion of confidence and. just exuberance that you can make it mm-hmm. but how i think the retention piece is still not a boardroom con- and still not a strong enough boardroom conversation mm-hmm. is because the founder at this very moment is still fighting every day sure now the team that the founder has potentially built could be marketing could be sales whatever it is that team itself has not gone through the rigor of retention so they've gone through the rit- rigor of media buying If you're old school enough, you would have so, gone through some degree of media, media buying, right? Hmm. Media buying comes, offline comes, event banana comes, creatives banana comes, ad banana comes, celebrity handle banana comes. Facebook, Google also comes. Ah, that's the media buying. Ah, that's the media buying. All that. I mean, whether it's biddable hmm. or it's whatever it is, which is a format, but that's broadly sorted and figured. जो नहीं आता है, वो लोगों के फोन में घुस के उनको influence करना through the power of either a WhatsApp or an SMS or a web push or an email. because that's craft that is not just tool sure it's the craft of being able to tell a compelling story it's the craft of writing really well it's sure. the craft of designing things in a beautiful manner mm-hmm. it's the craft where you are not only pushing a discount but you are adding some value to my life now for a brand to go through that evolutionary cycle of thinking that my retention funnel is not just about pushing a discount Or putting a free product and actually starting to add some value back to the consumer or the user's life, I think that evolutionary curve has still not happened here, or happened but in a very limited space. Hmm. Second is there is there isn't enough talent either at, I mean, for me I think the talent is mostly at the brand level and then it gets transferred onto as an insight to the service provider level. Sure. Which is how do I really make this into an actionable piece? Mm-hmm. You know, old school. There used to be this thing about direct mailers going. I know. Okay. Still turn, coming back, huh? I, I mean, turns yeah, out the most the, the best open rates are <laughs> yeah, direct mails. Of course. But you know, I suppose you were to take a Reader's Digest. I suppose you would take any subscription, any subscription. You would end up getting these small little delightful things. Most of it would not be about hey, you can get another Reader's sure. Digest free. Like no one mm-hmm. cares. Right? I mean, you've already paid for it. But there would be something that would keep people excited, happy. uh sort of in line with what the brand really wants them to think of or how they want them to feel sure that conversation unfortunately doesn't remain on the table mm-hmm. now the conversations about retention is i sent an email how many did how many people did it get delivered to what was the cohort size what was the open rate click through blah 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 and, 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 
yeah and you suddenly like dude that's not even what you need to be solving for you're solving for something different you're solving for how many of these people are sort of what kind of conversations are you being able to drive and what how many people are coming back and what what is the stickiness factor through and through right there is no stickiness factor measurement okay right and uh, it's not it's not dashboard you know so what i mean by that is there are bunch of metrics which should ladder up to one key metric mm-hmm. or maximum two key metrics bunch of them i think the world of sentiment analysis has done this really well or social listening has done this very well with okay. sentiment analysis okay social listening is pure play listening sure listening assessment analysis sort of decrypting it and then turning it into some degree of an insight that's been done really well with the ideology of sentiment frameworks been deployed on top mm-hmm. so you're listening and there is a sentiment framework fantastic i as a as a c suite i know what i have to look for well no my ability to buy or sell that particular service whether it's internally or to myself uh, is very clear because i see one graph going up or something going down and then you know whatever it takes to make it work and i know where it needs to go mm. so as long as the sentiment piece for my organization for my company is going up my brand sentiment is going up my negatives are low my neutrals and positives are high it's almost like an nps right sure. so broadly you have some degree of measurability and metric to it i think what right now happens with retention marketing is that you end up getting a dashboard which has lots of blinking lights lots lots of them what chamakdar cheez hoti hai theek hai you you look through left to right and you see there is one pie there is one line graph there is one pie chart and you're like okay this is great what the heck do i do with it what is the top level like yeah what's what's there what's there right now either you know how to read it and extrapolate now once you've extrapolated it, but it, no it's not, it's not that easy you've extrapolated an insight you've extrapolated something from it now you have a full stakeholder system that you have to convince to do something sometimes yeah. it's about uh, sometimes it's about orders not going on time which has led to some degree of you know complaints coming in or whatever sure. it is sometimes it's about not enough content being there which has led to a lot of inquiry coming in so hmm. look at this way right you can break down almost any funnel into an sort of inquiry complaint and request piece okay. broadly that right so hmm. then you have an ecr model that hmm. sort of gets deployed on top of it and on top of that you have a recency frequency whatever else that you want so you have people who have come in or you have people who are reacting to things or they're asking questions or they're engaging with you 90% of this world by the way only complains right the other ones don't speak uh, otherwise don't care right and then on top of it when people are opening an email if it doesn't really add any value to them they're never going to share anything with you second is no one really takes a screenshot of an email and shares it unless it's absolutely well out there something has happened whatsapp was very very good till about a few months back Let maybe too crowded man it's become a cesspool right now it's the same as what happened to facebook right and no more friends it's just brands it's just brands it's just brands so my whatsapp is full of brands trying to sell me shit that i don't need and i don't care i'm it's they're all i'm blind to all of them what i would call the the goose with the golden eggs which is now about to die yeah exactly right i think people have milked it too much so you there was supposed to be some degree of restraint but it's gone so within all of this question facebook should have solved but anyway no facebook's not very good at solving any of this clearly so <laughs> let's leave that now in the middle of all of this you have this one dashboard with all those blinking lights 
and everything starts to break because either I have extrapolated and if I have extrapolated then there is a downstream impact of what needs to be done and I need different kinds of people within my organization to pull you know extra hours or just put in more bandwidth to solve a bunch of problems which will help my retention funnel but then those people don't give a shit about the retention funnel so what do so I really do? So one of the topics I was trying to write about or articulate the thought process on was does um, the chief retention officer need a, seat, need a seat at the table because the exact same question mark if you know there's a set of products which are giving me terrible NPS do I want to continue shipping them or should I discard that inventory and that conversation should be had with the guy who owns inventory slash finance slash whatever because if you're going to dispatch those products you're ultimately hurting your I mean, marketing all, all the best for the guy uh, yeah but that's isn't if, that the if, if that, if that product ask? is giving them the highest gross margin and the maximum order of revenue then they're always going to be in a situation where sales to but what percentage of the sale is actually that come right uh, thankfully I've worked with orgs which have were able to solve for this what was oh, the oh, oh, tremendously I think I think one again uh, extreme amounts of privilege one because I was very early stage to a lot of this sure. so I was able to set Influence that discipline as well. yeah mm. um, so the culture has always been that see one because I grew up in a very service oriented sure. uh, environment so when you grow up with clients and your life runs on payments coming in on time sure uh, you sort of start to make sure that you're delivering value you have to, there, there's way no option it's right? the same as our people like us because if we are not on our yeah, two service industry, value, it's, all, it's all, going to get messed the yep. entire service industry runs on that right because the entire service industry fundamentally runs on the back of ensuring that there is under promise over delivery and a certain amount of commitment towards empathy sure three broad sort of areas for us to focus mm. on same applies when you're looking at a marketing funnel. You have to make sure that people are extremely comfortable, they're happy, and then if they are happy, they'll keep coming back to you. Mm. Which is the customer centricity and the customer delight aspect to any organization. And the brand sort of forms itself around that. Very lucky to have had the opportunity to influence that culture in organizations. No, that's kind of where I was uh, trying to find the dots between the whole optimism versus rational planning because mm. the founders that you seem to have worked mm. with had that let's say, sense in the judgment to say, okay, this is something that needs to be solved on an early level in terms of priority design system empowerment because, like you said, the guy who mm. needs to care about it, if he doesn't care about it, there's only very little you can do. So yeah. in the power equation structures as well, if it's not designed well, it's going to end up in a certain direction and that's sort of known now, right? I mean, we've seen enough evidence of things falling apart because they were not designed well. See, I came from a very old school mm. thought process and I worked with companies which were working across the length and breadth of India. Sure. So for... Me and I've, I've sort of when you look at it, right? I mean, my the businesses I've worked with, Dine Out, HCL, Akash Digital, Bombay Shaving Company, mm. uh, you know, Akiva Superfoods, and Heads of Hotels, mm. they none of them have been companies which are not grounded in the reality of India. Mm. They've all been very close to the root. You're running shops, man. You have to be as close to the root as you can be, sure. right? Uh, none of these are ultra high luxury brands none of them okay okay I would have other than, other than, other, be, than other than heads of hotels yeah, yeah. i knew where you're going with that no that's but, okay but uh, again no there are lots of entry, entry yeah. level products right mm. so uh, and honestly it's not a luxury as as much as it's I mean, about for an outsider it might seem like for pet parents i've seen them to be fairly comfortable with it so i think no because you know the quality that you buy yeah. right and so and so actually that mean, that's I'm, that's also a very important part sure when you know that you have a brand that is going to charge a certain amount of value premium not a price premium but a value premium and the value premium is super important and you know that people are ready to pay for it and you're going to spend maybe an extra amount of money to acquire people 
then it is supremely important to do all that you can to retain them. Absolutely. This is back to the same thread in terms of the founders having placed this whole sensibility in the business in the early times itself. Yeah. And you were talking about these brands being very grounded in reality. Yeah. And that's where, uh, you know, what happens to other brands which don't seem to be taken care of very well is the question mark. And yeah. to me, that's where it starts to fall apart. And yeah. it's the soul, you know, the 98% people who don't make it. Yeah. Now, if the founder were to apply this judgment from others' mistakes, which hopefully people are doing in their second time stints, as well as learning from the peers' mistakes, these things get better. Yeah. You know, now stitching it back to the sole state of retention marketing situation, the mm. fact that, and we very consistently uh, believe and we were also making these prophecies that these things have to change because there's no way uh, this can be the order of uh, life. The fact that you need to be mindful of retention on day zero slash day T yeah. minus 90, in, in yeah. fact, when you're doing a business plan, yeah. is hopefully becoming more and more mainstream. It and is. the path that needs to get solved slightly better, like you said, was this the talent supply of uh, being able to think like this, being able yeah. to address topics. Yeah. There's an art and science to it. You talked about the yeah. whole uh, crafting the messaging, crafting the experience, yeah. crafting those pieces. And the other piece was what I heard you say was around the empowerment of this role itself, right? Because yeah. if he doesn't have the power equation to pull the strength yeah. he need to pull, it will constantly remain a struggle. If order deliveries are the reason why people aren't repeating, then you know, he needs to get us sorted. Yeah, which is where the organization needs to start rallying behind this process. So it's sometimes certain, retention is not just a marketer's problem, it's everyone's problem. I think retention is a business problem, man. Absolutely. Right? Which means and the seat on the table would be fair justified. I think the seat on the table is already there. Mm -hmm. It's just held by the marketer to some extent. Yeah, but, but having said that, CMO but having who has said an acquisition that, goal and who has this. But, but having said that, exactly, I'm coming to that. But having said that, smart CEOs or CBOs are realizing the importance of it. Sure. Right? And, and I, 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 I don't think I have met any business leader worth their salt who the top three problems within the top three problems retention is not one of them very, very interesting because you know on one side you have people who acknowledge and realize this is a problem mm. on the other side you also look at the appetite in terms of the initiatives not just from a money spent but also from a mind share spent on this whole mm -hmm. subject because we deal with people all the time on that side and we so supposedly sell retention as a solution now of course the technology is only part of the uh, solution there's a lot more that needs to happen to make the outcome appear but just somewhere the mindset around investing in technology still seems to be more of an infrastructure. We need, we need AWS. Mm. You need all of this physical yeah. infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, the more you can optimize the cost, the better it is. Yeah. But you don't, and on one side, you're like looking at an agency which is solving performance marketing for you yeah. from a lens where 6% of your spends are yeah, fair yeah, ask. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to retention marketing, I want to optimize my cost. Just to, just to let you know I, I'm that. I'm very curious to that's, ask you how that, the plays are. That's changing. Out. So it's not so much on media spends anymore. Right. Now it's a percentage of revenue at a certain return. Yeah. Thank God. So for so me, that's, how happen. you... that's happening across the board and it's happening really well. I'm glad because and it certainly agencies puts have also a lot taken on retention right? mandates. The, the agencies are? have also taken on retention mandates. Okay. Tell me more about this. What is happening there? So, so very interestingly, um, now that I have the privilege of working with different kinds of people. On all sides, shapes. Um, and uh, mostly a certain shape <laughs> and a certain <laughs> size. Sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, the good thing is that a lot of agencies um, have become mature over a period of time and they need it to be, right? I mean, it's survival of the most yep. relevant, forget the fittest. Uh, the relevance came when they said that, okay, you have, you, now you don't have a disparate funnel, you have one. You have one engine and that engine needs to start doing both things. We'll help you acquire we're going to help you acquire quality people. Okay. As opposed to saying we're just going to help you acquire. 
so that's a very it's a lovely change that shift. has happened yep. right so the quality you know so uh, early stage we used to have this thing about lead scoring right i mean you essentially want yeah. to get people in through the best lead score because you know that their ability to stay through that commerce through through that sort of commitment to commerce will remain yeah here a lot of agencies are like i'm going to acquire quality people for you i'm going to put them through a nice nurturing methodology and i'm going to help you retain them over a period of time you are going to so pay me a breaks, percentage right? huh it puts breaks in the pace of growth because quality would can't but again happy. now it's not growth at all costs absolutely which which is is saying growth is your key metric which goes back to what i said in the beginning hmm. this is the marwadi way of building a business this is the right way of building business growth at all costs is not business growth it's like steroid driven one vanity metric perhaps yeah it's absolute vanity right and and both so, actually it's not even vanity let's let's not even call it vanity because after a while you know that vanity when everyone is doing 20 crores a month there is no vanity anymore yeah true. because everyone has that kind so of capital access right so you're saying the agencies are now getting let's say advisors slash more evolved such so not just agency i think it's also mandated to the marketing team right. it's mandated to cmos it's mandated to cbos where uh, people either who hold businesses or people who hold capital depends on how you sort of have bifurcated sure. your system um they are starting to look at core metrics of if you are acquiring people are you acquiring the right set of people the right set of people also is an indication of what kind of brand equity strength you have in the market you know let's just double click on this yeah. i'm a new brand cmo consumer yeah. brand player at a certain scale certain you know product portfolio certain level of maturity acceptance in the market some pmfs here and yeah. they established perhaps lifetime value still is problem yeah. to solve yeah. now i need to deal with this whole decision making on designing my organization perhaps doing some stuff in house perhaps giving to an agency how do i decide uh, whether they are the right let's say approach to take people to take do business with what kpis to solve for because that's a critical juncture at, at which either i can go the right path and you know do a good job eventually scale up a sensible business mm-hmm. or this can just be a battle i'll keep fighting without much success so what are the things that you've seen happen which are the so a lot, lot of lot of people have burned their fingers absolutely um, there is no right answer to this i'm sorry but there is a bunch of boxes to you but i'll but sure, I'll, right? i'll tell you yeah. broadly what a good framework is right. if that if that helps yeah that that does help um and also by the way cards on the table i'm not a big fan of the enc model i'm personally not a big fan of sure. the enc model because i think at the end of the day you need to build core capacity in house right yeah, I mean, but when you can't build it then you that's why there's on, a life stage yeah, yeah. so you rely you rely on external support and i'm mm-hmm. not taking away from the enc is that at some stage you need to just build that capacity in house right, right? fair enough uh But if you have to choose an agency partner, then I think there are two questions that you should ask yourself. One, am I okay to let go of control? And you know, it's not so much about choosing the right partner; it's about letting the partner do the job that they have mm-hmm. to do. So, a lot of times, what I have seen or potentially experienced also in some form is that you are so not ready to let go of control that after a while, the agency doesn't become someone who is consulting you; they become someone who is just doing it for you. Mm-hmm. So you become an execution partner. You don't really become a consultative partner, and that's where you sort of lose out on what potentially the NC can bring as value to the table. So that's one. My contention also happens when it comes to agencies. Typically, when it comes to uh, the sales pitch, the guy who's selling versus the guy who's actually delivering on the account oh, tends yeah. to be very different. Correct. Correct. So the whole so, quality of execution versus consulting, and you know, that's where the question of what to demand from your agency becomes. What so, metrics do you demand? So you said robust margin. Oh, so stuff. all of that is. I think. I think hmm. that's people are smart enough. People have know that they have. Uh-huh. I've seen unfortunately I mean of really? course it could be a function of what kind of people yeah. uh, you met and what kind of people I met and what kind of radar yeah. you might have but I don't think it's yet mainstream and that's what I'm trying to make sure that you know if you so from I think, a very I think if, lens, if I have to look at an NC one I will look at 
the size of the agency depending on my size. I don't want to be a very small pair in a large agency. A lot of people would love to go to a large agency because they feel that there's so much that they can bring to the sure. table. But if you're a very small account, then 90% of the time you're not going to get really serv well serviced. So that's one. So, so go, I will go for a fair a thing to say that I need a partner level attention to my account personally and a certain cadence. I'm not a partner level, bhi nahi ho, but at least someone senior enough in that system. Once so, a month, I don't get an email, so it's not a so broadly that. I mean, let's say partner, ho, owner, ho, jo bhi hai, but you need someone who's who's got to have some degree of care and love for you and the care sure. and love does not come when that person is doing 30 brands at the same time. Yes, absolutely. Right? Or you are one of the lowest sort of revenue driven. Uh, so if you're small, find somebody your size equivalent. Slightly bigger. Just slightly, slightly bigger. Right? So that's number one. Second is that what are you really good at and what are they really good at? Mm -hmm. Now as a founder, you might be fantastic and I've seen this. Okay, founders are very good at a few things. Very good at a few things. So you will have a set of founders who are going to be fantastic at you know, identity, branding, just the comms of it. They know intuitively how the brand should sure. feel, look, because they built it. Yeah. Right? They have sat with the first early stage designers and literally, potentially written down every word and said, Mera to dil ka tukda ye hai. Correct. Right? This is how it should be. You want to hold on to that. Hmm. So now you don't want a partner who's going to come in and say, I want to change this shit. You want a partner who's going to say, I love what you have done. And I see a lot of potential in this and I want to build it up with you. Sure. Right? So you want a consultative approach and you don't want a disruptive approach at that. Yeah. Right? And you don't want them to come in and start, you know, sort of poking into your branding. You want but them to say... But that's even the founder is pretty good with it because there are so founders... So I'm saying you have, to be figure, you have to figure out what you're really you good at. You have to decide that because, I mean, there's also the sole counter reality, right? People are probably great with products, but they're not necessarily great with comms, which means so they hold on to the wrong stuff, then there's this shit getting amplified. Depends. But you have to figure out what you're really good sure. at. Sure. At the end of the day, as a founder, if you don't have a very strong bias and an opinion, then anyways, you're not really building yep. out a company that really is going to stand the test of time. Hmm. And I would much rather err on the side of a founder being proven wrong over a period than the founder assuming they're wrong from day one. Fair enough. Yeah. So when you're working with an agency, figure out what are you really good mm -hmm. at because you want to hold on to that and then be very open to letting everything else be with them. Sure. Second is when you're finding an agency, you're not finding an agency, you're finding someone who is going to stand next to you even on a Sunday if something is really going wrong. Mm -hmm. And there is a very large potential of that happening. Right? Sure. So you need someone who's going to stand right next to you. Fair. And I think that is not so much about the core capacity but the intent of the agency. Correct. So I would do a much, so I would hyper index on intent. Hmm. Second indexing will be on core capacity and capability. Third would be on the current team because the team will keep changing. Sure. Right. So I don't really worry about, oh my God, like did I find the right kind of vibe from that one guy? Sure. Or, oh, I love that one art guy who was sitting there so I want him. Hmm. Bro, no. He might disappear. I mean, Does the management have the intent of being next to you? Does the management have the core capacity and capability to support you when you need that support? Mm. Third is, do they have some degree of a domain knowledge so that they can use that as a transference? Fourth is, are they people you can comfortably keep on board even if you have a bad month? From a financial lens? Yeah. So, you know, you spoke about the agency ecosystem and there are multiple things. The founder might yeah. hold on to the brand identity. He yeah. might uh, take the performance marketing bit mm. uh, offloaded at a certain whatever media spend calculation yeah. or uh, revenue calculation. Yeah. And then there's this whole lens on 
first party engagement, retention, whatever we do in our space. So again, the service providers in that space, one might or might not be available, might not be as efficient or well-trained or qualified. So how do you look at this whole lens on solving for retention in an early day capability building? At what stage do you, let's say, choose to definitely do it in-house? Do you want to yeah. do it in-house from day zero? Do you believe that, okay, in the initial days, you can let the agency be, but then what kind of KPIs do you put on the agency to make sure that they're you know, accountable to those KPIs? I think the very early stage, then, you know, retention is an organizational metric. It's not mm. really just an agency metric. Sure. If you're very early stage, you're potentially looking at about four or 500, you know, orders in a month, maybe even less sometimes. Sure. Your scale is very limited. So as a founder, you might want to watch some metrics and that should be a... I think, I think as a founder, point. you are obsessed about retention. Sure. So if you, if you have a habit-forming product and then you're not selling in any other channel and you don't see potentially, you know, 70, 80% of people coming back the next month and buying it, then there's something wrong with your product, yeah. man. Or the downstream process of repeat insurance, right? Because I might really like that serum, but only if I use it for 25 times, I will know that this is actually effective. Whatever the time span of when people should come back and reorder. Right. If you're seeing that people are not coming back and doing it, then there is something fundamentally wrong, either with the product or the pricing, or there is another competitor who has got something better, whatever it is. Something or the other. Then you have to get your hands dirty. Correct. And listen, retention is about getting your hands dirty, man. I mean, mm. like, can we talk about that? Can we talk about how, if you're not calling people, if you're not really asking your customer what happened, why the heck did you bugger off, mm. you're never going to be able to figure out. No amount of digital enterprise being thrown on top of this will ever replace the human intervention that will give you the right kind of insight as to why people are leaving. And in the zero to one stage, that's the most critical way of driving zero to one. With... That's across. Oh, so Even saying... at very large scale, mm -hmm. very, very large scale, and you know, this is something that we have institutionalized multiple times. I, if I see too many drop-offs happening across a particular cohort, which was so, which was well nurtured and people were coming to me regularly and they've stopped coming to me for a while mm -hmm. then pick up the phone and call them even mm -hmm. if it means that it's a hundred calls going out in a day call them of the hundred probably five will speak to you something would be worthwhile but figure out why those very, people very are not coming back mm -hmm. and they're not going to reply to your emails they're not going to click on your whatsapps they're not going to look at your sms's they are going to unsubscribe they will drop off your list of people who are marketable right they will put you as borderline spam. All that is going to happen. But what you have not got is the reason. What you have got you is a cleaner this? data set. Because suddenly people have left. So now your delivery rates have become suddenly better because guess what? Those people have dropped off. Yeah, so essentially I have cleansed out the non-responses. The non-responses. Hmm. And I have said, okay, now my system's got just got better. So it's essentially, think of it like this pack, right? I mean, the the slowest deer gets hunted first. Right. So your pack starts to uh, keep getting faster. Yeah. You know, so in terms of institutionalizing this whole thing, you said you've done this multiple times and a bit top down at the org level, the founder has to show that obsession that this needs to be done as yeah. a practice. And then who does it? Because if it's a lower end of the hierarchy, he probably has no idea how to interpret some of those things. Um, I, I think it just literally is about someone holding the mantle, man. Um, Somebody who's at the right level to be able to make the judgment, to be able to make the decisions, to influence elements across the company that need to be solved? Yes. And the, the straight answer is yes. In some sense, it's still pretty top-down, right? <laughs>
Now back to this whole thread that okay, uh, but anything that needs to happen which is out of the ordinary is always top down. Yeah, it has to be coming from the top. So this whole journey from let's say five hundred orders a month to five thousand orders a month to ten thousand dollars a month is a bit of a sometimes discontinuity, sometimes continuity. Yeah. But just in the terms of navigating retention as a subject and uh, putting the right kind of infrastructure together from a technology lens, from a people lens, from a process lens, from a data lens, what would be your key milestones? Uh, that would be let's say a zero to one year journey. What should that be covered? Milestones in terms of what needs to be put together. Yeah, I think first is the mindset, man. Mm-hmm. Um, without the mindset, there's literally nothing that works because all of this needs Fair enough. capital. It needs bandwidth. You need an FTE. You need a bunch of resources. This is what I was trying to say. It's it's, you know? it's bodies at the problem, right? Yeah. To some to some extent, it's bodies at the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so first is the mindset, and I think that just that by itself takes time. Really? You have Should it? Uh, it it takes a certain amount of time because as I mentioned, if there if you're looking at any kind of mid to large scale organization, then maybe their fights are not daily fights. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at a early to a mid stage organization, then everything is a daily fight. Sure. So this conversation somehow, unfortunately, might just get lost in the meandering twenty thousand crisis that hits in a day. Isn't that something to solve for? Because that's kind it of is, what it is. It is part of it. By. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that it takes a little longer than one can expect. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong, but no, broadly what I've seen is. is whether you are naturally able to do this or not, but you're better off doing this from the early days. So the mindset should be kind of theoretically solved. So it's like this: sense. you know that you are supposed to walk 45 minutes a day. Do you really do it? Yeah, I get it. So it should be done, but is it done? Are two different things. Yeah, so I mean everyone recognizes is, the importance of it. Yeah, right. You're supposed to work out, man, but most people don't, right? Yep, true. So okay, so screw that. I mean that's that's irrelevant. Whether it's hmm. about recognizing the problem and then solving for the problem, recognizing the recognition of the problem, hundred yep. percent. I think everyone recognizes it. Uh, also, because they've been forced to recognize it. In some sense, the commitment to solving it in an aggressive fashion is the part that still seems to be. It depends be on the priority list. Me, where it comes from. So, one thing is to bring it to the priority list, lana, which is right. the mindset Correct. setting, right? That, yes, let's take these 15 things, but this will have to be brought to the priority list because if I don't take it, then I can't solve what's happening downstream. Sure. So, you have to find use cases for why that should come up. Hmm. Right. A lot of times you will say, "Ha, you know, I need to work on the retention fund," and they'll be like, "Ha, but that's all right. We have larger problems. Let's say in terms of of a product or." Let's say we have a logistics challenge or some of this. What's the use of deploying retention on top of this when we understand that these systems are broken? First, sure. let's solve these systems. Sure. Let's fix these systems, and then we'll deploy retention. So hence, there'll be a better experience. They're not wrong. They're not wrong. Sure. You can't go out there and contest hmm. by saying, "Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to invite a whole bunch of people to my house, but I don't have food to feed them." Sure. So they'll say, "Dude, I don't have enough." You're saying you're going to do retention, but you have only two products. How are you going to cross sell, upsell? What are you going to do? Again, fair point. Sure. So you have to. and that's what i mean by setting the mindset which is what is the right time to contextualize it as a business metric mm-hmm. which does not end up impacting every other function mm-hmm. right and it's still because it's not the most prevalent revenue driver it's still potentially about you know 10 to 12% if you are doing it really well 10 to 12% of your revenue uptake Most people don't even want to care for the ten to twelve percent when there are so many other things to yeah, solve for. Okay. If I can reduce my cogs by twenty percent, then I have honestly made that money back. So first is the mindset. That's my priority sure. one. Second, I think is finding someone who's going to be the owner for this. Sure. Someone who's clearly saying I am the sponsor in some form. Uh, I will take responsibility for this. Mm-hmm. More often than not, it does become a marketing role. Which is Usually absolutely that's the fine. Levitation. Which is absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with it. So you will have someone in the marketing team who's going to take responsibility of it. Now here is where it starts to get super interesting. 
more often than not, this person has either been exposed to some aspects of retention marketing sure. or almost no aspects of retention marketing. Hmm. But there is an intent to learn retention marketing. Right. right? It's also what I've seen is early stage, you know, when people wanted to run Facebook ads, Google ads, all of that, I wanted to learn it, right? right. Oh, Google Academy created Facebook, Creator, Studio, everything. Unfortunately, there's no one who's teaching retention marketing. It's breaking a stab at it, but sure, early days. Yeah. Dude, the problem is that you have a bunch of founders who are relying on one team to run something which they have little or no experience to run and there is no one to make that process better. Sure. So now, if there is a way to make sure there's training enabled on not just the tools of retention marketing, but the entire system engineering mm. of retention marketing, I think that's really where it starts to get really, really, really good. Yeah. Very interesting. So for me, the third priority is training that person. Mm. Now, training, unfortunately, I know you guys are trying to set up something. Sure. All the best. So it's a WIP. Do well. No, because that's important. If you do well, then the rest of the ecosystem will start to do well. Sure. But as of now, there is nothing. Yeah. So now what happens is, is either me teaching or someone else in the team who's a little bit more experienced than me potentially mm. teaching. Someone who's done it in the past. Maybe I'm going to rely on someone else outside. I'm going to rely on a different brand. Uh, someone. I'm going to rely on them. Mm. You know, the problem with that is that it it's only as good as their knowledge. Sure. So it could potentially be a garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Yeah, or it could be so non-sectoral relevant that I am going to start off with the wrong practices. So the training part is actually a very large miss mm. right now. Mm. The third thing, so this is happening. So you have the mindset shift, then you have the sponsorship, you have the training. These three things are happening. The fourth thing that now needs to happen is setting expectation. Okay. Just because you've deployed someone who's trained and you've deployed a tool doesn't mean that it's going to start firing from day one. Sure. So setting that expectation, putting very clear achievable milestones, making sure that there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, negotiation, negotiating capacity and capability in the systems thing, team, team that is super important. You know, you want to put some more color to it when you say uh, on day zero, the expectation should be more calibrated in some sense. I think... What is it that people are expecting and what should be the right approach to it? You know, for someone to say that I'm going to have a 60% retention down the funnel when I've literally never deployed anything and then that's fallacy. Fair enough. Or them saying that, okay, 30% of my revenue contribution is going to come from my retention funnel, mm -hmm. that's also fallacy. Okay. Right? Now, you might... Some, some people will do a Google search. What is the kind of retention metric that... You know, globally, okay, you're looking at US metrics, fantastic retention metrics sure. to a very large extent. You're going to see massive amounts of mm -hmm. revenue contribution. Mm -hmm. You're going to see lots of brand loyalty, brand love, all of that. Your NPS is going to be south of potentially 90, 97%. And you're going to be like, okay, that's the kind of metric I need to chase. No. The Indian ecosystem is extremely different. The consumer is extremely different. We are very highly distributed. We have marketplace businesses, which are going to come back and challenge your retention. Mm -hmm. You are always going to find it extremely difficult to find the right kind of data. We spoke about dirty data. Yep. All of these things taken into account, there has to be a very realistic framework that is applied to what the expectation setting for management should be for retention marketing. Fair. The problem is when you don't do that, then you are setting up a system that is designed to fail. Yep. Also to disappoint in some sense. Designed to fail, no? Fail, okay. 
तो आप तो डिसअपॉइंट करेगा ही ऑब्वियसली ऑप्शन क्या है क्योंकि पैसा डाला था उसमें कुछ हुआ नहीं जो आना चाहिए था उसकी एक्सपेक्टेशन गलत थी टू स्टार्ट विद राइट सो आई थिंक दैट इज सुपर इंपॉर्टेंट मैन बट इसमें एक बात तो ये समझ सो इन टर्म्स ऑफ जस्ट दी होल यू नो आरओआई के लिए इन्वेस्टमेंट लगता है पहले तो इन्वेस्टमेंट का कैलिब्रेशन हाउ डू यू डू यू नो हाउ मच इज टू लिटिल वर्सेस टू मच बिकॉज़ इफ यू डोंट पुट इन द राइट पीपल द राइट ट्रेनिंग एंड द राइट टूलिंग देन ऑल ऑफ दिस विल एनीवे नॉट गो फार या सो हाउ डू यू डिसाइड हाउ मच इज इट वर्थ इट डू यू कंपेयर अ रोवास मेट्रिक देन यू आई एम गोना पे गूगल एक्स अमाउंट ऑफ मनी गेट दिस काइंड ऑफ रेवेन्यू आउट ऑफ इट If I were to put this kind of money on a tool and a people and a comms cost, then I should at least get this kind of revenue out of it. Is there a framework one, to it? Yeah, the one very clear way of looking at it is what's the opportunity cost, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm letting go of 90 people on the table and I'm keeping 10 of the 100 that right. I've acquired, then that's potentially 90, you know, transactions that I'm letting go of sure. over a period of time, right? So the opportunity cost is the first thing that I need to look at. In terms of what else could I have done with the same money? What else? No, no. What kind of money would I have got if these people would have come back and repeated? Oh, so you're saying the uh, from a repeat lens, if I've got from delta extra, then this delta correct. is the part of the ROI. Right. So mm-hmm. now, at the end of the day, if you have the potential of bringing 25 people back to you, right, right, and four rupees will be that, then four rupees will be made. Fair enough. Okay. So, meaning that four rupees. So, four rupees to make, I have to charge how much? Correct. Right. So now, at the end of the day, if I know that I have four rupees to make, I should be able to spend at least, let's say, 50 rupees on that. Sure. If I'm, if I'm smart. But that's assuming a two x. Whatever I'm saying. Not that it could be a thirty rupees. No, the ROI of multiple. What is the question? Depends on the category, man. Right. Depends completely on the category, right? Um, not really because that's kind of arbitrary. So, so related to the category, just take an example of any category. Give me an. So imagine a situation where you have, let's say, nutraceutical. Sure. Extremely habit forming. Every thirty days mm-hmm. you need to take it, right? Gross margins are upwards of about sixty, sixty-five percent. Easy. Right. I'm very happy to very happy to take a thirty five forty percent a cost on a repeat also. Fair enough. No issue because I'm still making that twenty percent and yeah. I know that my LTV is very very high. Sure. Right. Take another take a different category hmm. where the gross margin itself is potentially about thirty five forty percent. But that's anyways a struggle in D two C. Right. So what? Now thirty five forty percent is not there. Lots of companies which are operating at a thirty five forty percent because branding cost is high, packaging cost is high. Uh, your cogs are high because mm. of the quality of the material. So many, so sure. many businesses are like that, right? Fifty percent also, but mm. in that you can't potentially if your gross margin is fifty percent, you can't really part ways with fifty percent on that yep. revenue, right? Mm. Unless you're charging a ridiculous premium, which also then again is a, a big challenge because yeah. to get people back, you're potentially discounting it higher. So you know it's a little bit of a vicious Contextual. cycle. Uh, but at any point of time, if my performance marketing is let's say giving me about a two and a half three x ROAS, right? Then my retention funnel ideally should match that. I'm saying okay. match it. Match it if not. Exceed. I'm just saying match it. Hmm. If it exceeds it, phenomenal. Bonus. Phenomenal. Bonus. I would love for that to happen. But don't start with the expectation that should be like two x of this. But at least match it. Hmm. Right. Fair enough. Because if you're not even matching it and it's you know own captive audience, then boss question the product. Something is wrong. Question yeah. the product. No. Question. Question a lot of things. Question pricing. Question product. Question. The whole funnel somewhere something uh, is broken. Kahi na kahi bhi kuch na kuch broken hai. Fair enough. But at least match to kar do. Fair enough. Right. Now. We are also going to assume that you acquired the right kind of people, which is uh, unhealthy assumption in a lot of situations. But yeah, let's go. Let's with just it. assume that you acquired the right kind of people. Is there a way to judge that a priori? What kind of let's say decision-making in front of you need to have in place to be able to judge that? Yes. So if you have not acquired people through very heavy discounts, hmm. if you have not acquired people through very dodgy funnels like Telegram bots and God knows. What are the other channels that are out there? Sure. If you have potentially made sure that the 
journey that the customer has taken to purchase something is a bit more informed right and you have also seen your social traction go up and people mentioning you on social after they have bought the product mm-hmm. which shows some degree of quality right i think that goes on to say that the funnel was right okay right i'll take i'll take a classic example okay there is heads of a tails at any point of time on an average on instagram ends up getting on on a daily basis between 5 to 600 tags a day okay these are people who have taken taken a part will take a picture of their clicked it with it tagged heads of a tail correct right i think that's a phenomenal metric yeah because it shows that we are acquiring the right kind of people who are now going to go on social and sure. speak well of us yeah do they only come back and buy from us no they're buying from different places sure but, but at least it's the icp exactly right and that gives us a certain degree of confidence that if we were to give these people something extra something special by extra i don't mean discount it could be anything, anything. an experience they will potentially stick with me longer okay now imagine a situation where no one really comes back and even tags you on instagram no one posts no In one that says that is a you, you might be selling a lot yeah. but no one comes and does anything they don't care for the brand there's no love there's no pride hmm. right mostly i'm just talking about consumer products and sure, consumer that, categories in that category that, that I mean, it's a fair reflection of a degree of brand affinity forming you will be surprised how much that happens in makeup that happens in hair care it happens in shoes it happens across fashion uh it happens in cell phones everywhere social mentions you are like a proxy to relevant new hmm 90% of the time you are going to take a picture and you're going to upload it sure india is going through an aspirational curve hmm. so everyone wants show to off. show yeah unless you're buying the calories which are journey, unless you're buying a toothpaste or a toothbrush which also i'm sure my friends at popo are going to say that nahi hame wo bhi aata hai hame wo bhi aata hai theek hai i would assume that you're literally going to take pictures of everything and post it and say i now have this i have a right right fair now if that's not happening to you as a brand at all I mean, to whatever scale, to whatever scale. something which is you 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 selling let's say a thousand units in a month and you get one tag something yeah, nobody cares something's wrong okay you're not selling to the right people maybe you don't even care for that instagram mm-hmm. audience that is okay but then your entire retention funnel approach changes sure then it's no longer about okay how do i get these feedback through the power of content or through craft or any of it no then it's about i've got these 999 people who don't really care about flaunting the brand they potentially want something completely different from me i have to be able to figure out what that is and then drive my retention through hmm. so you have to have a clear sense of who are you selling to the kind of customers you are getting because of whom you are going to be deploying what sure so, so the choice that you make is insights based up, i mean there's a certain amount of so hypothesis which, which will be validated which also by the way no current technology gives me tell me more about this so if i'm putting people through the retention funnel right i'm doing very simple cohort slicing right segmentation is very linear in nature yeah extremely linear right almost authority with the word moronic at some stage right i mean but hai to hai yaar jo hai theek hai i mean you know 90 day purchases laggards whatever recency some degree of frequency monetary but aspect but also to do blah, with blah, first part data being finite ha to bas utna hi hai na so I, i'm not i'm not saying that it's a problem of the tool i'm just saying it's a problem of the system that we have sure. built and it's not a system that you built alone it's a system that marketers yeah, I mean, have built business in some sense right? more first by data would help but how do you get it right 
Now, at this moment, when I'm putting people through this funnel and I have segmented that funnel and people are not responding to that funnel or people are responding to the funnel, there is no quality indicator. Hmm. Right? And a quality indicator for me could be like just a simple nudge or a question that makes people take two seconds extra to do. Sure. Simple. Something like, you know, it's almost like a very, very nice sort of an NPS indicator that you end up building, which is, hey, do you, do you like this? How was your, just this experience? Just till here, how was your experience hmm. been? Did you know this? Sure. Right? A uh, little bit of content push, which makes them think and maybe they can act on that. Sure. Right? I just think that the human experience can be made so much richer. Hmm. And by richness of the content, and I keep say, I keep speaking of content because the world runs on that. Sure. You know, we, we can keep saying tools and data and, you know, I, I love both, but I think data informs me to build what kind of content that needs to work and the tool just helps me disperse it uh, and maybe analyze where it's landed. Uh, but if the craft itself is not right, then you're not really going to achieve a lot. Hmm. So for me, I think the quality of that interaction, which ideally should be part of the the mechanism itself, hmm. right? I haven't seen that happen. Might have to do with the fact that the people who are doing this are not looking at life from that lens yet. Sure. That's also an education and training problem to solve. Well, I mean, if you ask what people want, they're going to say faster horses. So, same logic. You can't, <coughs> if you're building the ecosystem and if you're training people and if you're reading... Might as well cover these bases. You cover it. Right. You cover it. You build that nudge. You say, okay, this is, you know... Day 0 versus day 30. By day 30, we are going to send people a very soft nudge. And that nudge is going to help us understand what kind of a customer is this. Yeah. Right? I think I've somehow been a little more inclined in the, I mean, thanks to the nature of things we've done in life, I think. Uh, to me, the craft ends up being how do I very effectively personalize every bit of communication. Because, you know, the smartest of copies, what will resonate with Samrit might not be the yeah. same thing that will resonate with Ankur. Which means... I need to know Samrit has a cat who has this blah, blah, blah correct, situation correct. versus Ankur has a dog who is just adopted like a year ago and yeah. blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. So whatever has to come to me and versus has to come to you, there are, let's say in a sentence, three words which are craft, yeah. seven words which are actually personalized. Okay. But to with construct you. this perfectly nicely is both art and science. With and you. that's why this is like a so big that's, gap. That's first person data. Sure. That's, that's privileged. Most brands don't have that. They've acquired people. They have sold, they have sold them a shaving foam or a hair gel or something like that. No, not, nothing. Yeah, but they've not done, those, but they don't but, know all of this. But they won't know all of this. Yes. So at that moment, how do you make sure that they're, they're not just pushing more money into a funnel which has zero quality? True. Because the quality of that funnel is what is a massive suspect. But I've seen um, happen elsewhere in different industries, right? So this whole 30-day ROAS, for example, is yeah. a line item. You know, I am not optimizing for CAC, I'm optimizing for whether there's an M1 or M4 repeat or not. Correct. And that's what seems to be the practice across some industries yeah. we've seen. It's not the most common place. Mm. But again, from the maturity curve, I think the people slightly ahead of the curve in some sense are looking at this already because I don't acquire terrible quality customers and then ultimately they'll not repeat. It'll blow yeah. up my CAG. It doesn't help anything. Correct. So this whole calibrated growth because quality is a conscious factor becomes the order which... I mean, that started to happen literally about a year yes, and a half back. pretty much. So, we will have to see the maturity of both retention marketing, maturity of marketeers not doing growth at all cost, businesses being extremely cognizant that they have to acquire people who will not only remain with them but speak positively sure. of them. Um, I think a certain amount of community disposition being built into businesses where we are able to give back more than always take um, not only turn this into a discount-driven conversation, but turn this into a value-driven conversation. Uh, ensure that content 
and the craft of content uh, becomes almost a tent pole on which the business is built. Customer centricity not being the function of one department, but it being the sort of moral obligation of the entire organization. Yeah. Um, top down ensuring that retention becomes a conversation on the table, not just as a uh, metric and a QBR. Small little corner, right? Yeah, like it's somewhere there. But but retention becoming a conversation, primarily even when you start looking at valuation metrics. Sure. Which is super important because then automatically valuation metrics start to get very linear and slightly more, more logical. logical. Slightly <laughs> more logical. Um, I think that's, that's really where the world is moving. Um, I think technology aids adoption of the practice. Sure. But it's not the start. It's not the end of it. Yeah, yeah. It's just... I mean, it's, it's a table stakes. Yeah. I would call it table stakes because you can't do a bunch of things without it, but it's not enough. I mean, necessary yeah. but not sufficient, to put it in a simple language. Exactly. Yeah. Fair. You know, somebody we've spoken a lot about the fact that this whole maturity curve is yeah. where it is, and there's a lot of conceptual evolution that has happened to a certain extent. Uh, founders are asking the right questions, investors are seem to be asking the right questions. Retention is becoming a boardroom conversation. At least that kind of uh, preparedness has happened. But in your impression, in the ecosystem, and you, I'm sure, observing brands uh, everywhere, you're probably working with some of them. What's your, uh, let's say, assessment? Who's doing a great job? What's your gold standard of retention that they're, you know, I've seen them do these 10 things. That sounds impressive by your uh, standards. And I'm sure on, they're pretty high. Honestly, none. Um, okay. <laughs> honestly, none. Um, sure. I think, uh, you know, the banking industry started by doing a whole bunch of right things. Okay. Then they screwed it up by putting too many telecallers. Um, um, actually, I'll, I'll tell you why none. Mm. One, because I don't fall for the retention pieces. And sure. I don't think there are too many new age customers who end up falling for the retention unless they have massive love for the product. Sure. So the product precedes anything else. Mm. Right? So that's number one. Um, I think some brands which have been able to do an effective job of reminding me of their value. So right. let's, let's re-term okay. this a little sure. Brands that have been effective in reminding me of the value that they bring to my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if they have mature systems or immature systems. Uh, but uh, one, I genuinely love the way uh, that Nicobar communicates with me. Okay. I think it's it's just done beautifully. Again, listen, I'm a sucker for great design. Okay. I'm meeting all day after tomorrow, so I'd okay. love to communicate yeah, this, this on your behalf. Uh, I'm a sucker for great design and I think anything that is written with a certain amount of love and care uh, It shows across. It just it just comes across. Um, I'm a biker so Royal Enfield has been able to do that really well sure. for me. They contextualize a lot of uh, comms that comes my way depending mm -hmm. on my bike and you know the gear that I have and so on and so forth. So I think they're able to do a good job of that. Um, I think interestingly uh, a lot of my investment apps do a very good job okay they don't just send me what's happening with my portfolio uh but they do end up sending me a little bit of a did you know that you could do this too sure right and and as you know early stage let's say investors or early stage sort of market players uh a little bit helps it's just is this personalized bit. to you uh to some extent, yes. Are the cognizant of your I, life stage as an I can, early I can recognize the pattern. I've yeah. started to recognize the pattern now. So, you know, there's like a, okay, uh, I look at index funds, small case. So for example, they will try to contextualize it, but suddenly one in the middle will be like a slightly large cap. Sure. And they'll be like, you know, this is also performing in a similar way. So it's not it's not a massive deviation from what my usual behavior is. Behavior slash discovery pattern would be. Right. So I think that's well done. Hmm. Uh, 
of course i mean all kinds of entertainment apps and they're doing like a phenomenal bloody job you know uh, yeah i mean all the automation that gets involved right for people like netflix it's just but then i'm giving them the data so yeah. i would expect that right if, they, if you can't get that right then bloody well get out of the business your expectation right your branch parks are set because of the amazon and netflix which are like global products yeah. and now the indian folks are like really starting to catch up with that expectation yeah but look at the amount of richness of data that i give a netflix oh, or an ott or someone Insane. else right i mean they know every little detail of my life and it's a little disturbing uh, spooky <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I don't think too many people do it really well. I think brands which have one um, a maturity curve inbuilt into their system where they have the patience to nurture me. Yeah. And it's a patience to nurture. It's not a patience to sell. They're two different things. Got Nurturing it. and a lot of people get that very wrong. Yeah. Right. So they will like they will they'll start to bombard people with sale, 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 and I think that really like screws it up. um and i don't react to any of it i don't mm-hmm. think any of us react to any of it we have like six seven of us in this room and i don't think anyone is really going to react to any of it but if someone was to be able to contextualize content fact is for some reason this shit still goes on because it seems to be delivering something i don't know what but it does one it's easy uh second it's dopamine uh gives you, you something gives you something uh third is that no one has really tried the other way yeah, with this... a certain amount of patience so the mm. problem is patience hmm right uh so for me i think broadly that um right. I I haven't really experienced any other brand which has been able to communicate to me with the value sure uh, that they potentially can and should hmm um but yeah I, I hope that many others can will be hope but it certainly changes samrith as in as a fractal same I'm pretty certain you will bring this conversation to mainstream across the brand that you engage with I've been doing with. that for a while yeah, yeah you've been advising people regardless I mean yeah. I don't know what kind of engagement models but we do believe that you will have a positive influence in a lot of sensibility that should come into the ecosystem here onwards hopefully yes. hopefully uh, hopefully let's see all the best with that our team will continue to remain educating people and this was extremely useful for being so candid so thank you for that no absolutely my pleasure thank you for having super. me super thank you samrit thanks man i must say that podcast truly lived up to its promise delivering a wealth of insights and sparking some truly engaging conversations personally i gained a lot from samrit's perspectives Now we're eager to hear your thoughts on the episode. If you enjoyed it, please do take a moment to rate us and follow us on your favorite streaming platforms. This ensures you'll never miss our new content. We've got some incredible brands and speakers lined up and we can't wait for you to join us. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us at sormpodcast@webbingis.com. Stay tuned for more amazing content coming your way. Mm-hmm.